0: 4Tales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give 4Tales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service.
1: Hey everyone, today I'm joined by my friend Brett Spiegel.
0: He's the co-founder and COO of Koala, which we'll dig into in a little bit. Uh, I met Brett through um, one of his partners, or maybe he's not a partner, but he's definitely on your team. Um, and it was great because in a couple seconds, I realized one of the case studies he was talking about was a mutual client, and that's Scratch Kitchen. Um, so it was a bit of kismet. It was pretty awesome. And then since, our, since then, our relationship has grown quite well. But Brett, why don't you say hello, give a little bit of backstory.
1: Great. Uh, and, and thanks so much for for having me on when you, when you reached out. Um, I was honored uh, and I've been excited to have this conversation. So thanks again. Um, so as Joseph mentioned, my name is Brett Spiegel. I am the co-founder and COO at Koala. Koala is a, a customer experience platform. Um, and I think we'll have a, a chance to kind of dive into to what that means. But A little bit on my background. So I actually grew up in South Florida outside of Fort Lauderdale and went to college at the University of Central Florida in Orlando. As most people know, Orlando is the epicenter for casual dining concepts uh, in this universe. And so um, as being one of those people that had to work through college, I did my tour of duty through many casual dining concepts and got my start in the Back of house, I was a dishwasher, I was a prep cook, a line cook, I did some front of house as well. I did as a food runner, server, and uh, eventually a bartender at the famous TGI Fridays. And, you know, I can't say enough to younger people how important I think it is or at least an opportunity it is to go work at a restaurant while you're in college you know if you have the time um super flexible hours uh you know if you're front of house you get some cash in your pocket every day which is nice and you know, working at a very busy, full-service restaurant on a Friday night um, is, is character building uh, and soft skill building in, in a way that that very few other um, things are at that age. And so, you know, for all those reasons, um, you know, get, get out there and, and try it out. And, you know, for me, it just had a lasting impact. I mean you know, I, I went on from there to work at an independent film studio. Um, I, I did some work in, in advertising and digital and eventually, you know, landed at uh, a product agency called Fuzz where I, you know, oversaw the development of, you know, hundreds of mobile applications and websites. But those skills that I learned early on about, um, you know, Calmness under pressure, um, how to how to speak to people, how to navigate, um, you know, lots of challenges were, were were instilled in me very early on in the restaurant days.
0: Nice, yeah, I so, can't agree with you more. I mean, the the restaurant industry teaches so many lessons um, across so many skill sets that are applicable to. Everywhere, honestly, Um, you know, from processes to interactions with humans and all of that. So I I also cheer with you. Get a job in the restaurant (laughs) industry. You'll never regret it. Um, So let's let's dive into online ordering. So uh, for restaurants, online ordering right now, it's at a fever pitch. Um, There's so many competitors out there from the POS systems who sort of tacked on online ordering a while ago and haven't really done much to to fix it since then Um, to market leaders like Olo, who's uh, I believe now publicly traded company. Um, They've been, I think absolutely the gold standard to the aggressive up and comers like lunchbox, who is trying to nip at the heels of Olo. Um, What do you think makes for a solid online ordering system and a strategy for a restaurant brand? Yeah,
1: that's a good question. So I think I, I really think that there are sort of, I would call it three key approaches to the strategy of how you're going to, you know, ultimately the goal is to be able to provide as a restaurant brand, provide your guests with a channel to order directly from you, right? First party ordering. Um, And and you mentioned some of the options that are there. And a lot of those options are either um, add-ons or purpose-built, but there's a couple more uh, potential approaches over there. So one would be just custom build the entire stack, right? Build your point of sale, build your 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 ordering channels, build the API, everything in between. I'm going to mention it, and then we'll put it away because I think you have to be a little bit insane to kind of really go down that mm-hmm. that rabbit hole. Um, I mean, restaurants are sort of unique businesses in that they are a manufacturing center, right? They take raw material and turn it into a finished product on site. They're a hospitality center. They're an e-commerce center, a real estate company. They're in logistics and so layering onto that a massive technology company as well is probably one thing that they don't have to take on. Um, but then you have some of these all-in-one solutions like a point of sale that offers online ordering or um, you know, somebody like you mentioned, a lunchbox that's doing ordering and loyalty and lots of different things. Um, and then the third one would be Creating a, a partner ecosystem or a network of vendors that that play well together to build uh, a, a stack that has touches on all of those different points, and I think that's the one where you know we're obviously more, most interested in going into, and where I think you're going to have the best outcome because no one company is going to be great at everything. And so if you can find those players that are focused on doing one or two things exceptionally well and then have a great partner ecosystem to connect to other like-minded organizations that are focused on doing one or two things exceptionally well, then you can have the best-in-class point of sale, the best-in-class online ordering engine, the best-in-class front-end user experience, the best-in-class CRM loyalty provider, Um, it's Certainly challenging to know with all of these options who is doing that, but you find the one that you like. Okay? Maybe it's your CRM. Maybe it's your point of sale. Maybe it's, you know, you're working with someone like Olo and who are you working with? What is your partner ecosystem look like? What are the people that are offering best in class other com- components and, and, and bringing those together? And I think just kind of just further talk about like why that is the right approach is because if you think about, I'll just take an example of of things that we don't get involved in at all. You're using your inventory management system to use their free KDS add-on that they have, right? Mm -hmm. The best and brightest minds at that inventory management system, like what do they focus on? What are the things that are keeping them up at night? What are the problems that they are trying to solve? Is it how to make the KDS better or build a better inventory management system, right? So all of these all-in-one solutions, you know, they're going to, their, their top talent is going to be focusing on a couple of areas, but these other things that might be more important to your business are not going to get as good of attention. And maybe they pivot, um, you know, and maybe they just like shell them and start working on something else. And you're sort of left holding the bag. So again, I think that a strategy that looks like here are all of the components that we need, who is the best at all of these things individually, and how are they good at working together? And, you know, what are the proof points? What are the other brands that that are using that sort of stack of technology that that I think leads to ultimately best in class across the board?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that o- Olo hasn't really uh, jumped into the CRM space just yet. I don't know yeah. if it's in their plans or not. Um, whereas I think that's like you said, Lunchbox's claim to fame. Um, but you're 100% correct in that although Olo is probably best in class, um, we know that uh, they don't really touch brands that are under, I think, 30 units, or maybe they upped it to 50 now. Um, so if you're a small 10 to 12 unit brand, mm-hmm. they maybe make an exception, but really they, they try to, you know, they'll make an exception, but probably not service you the way they're going to service, like a, a 300 unit uh, chain or anything like that. And then another, so that means that all is really out of the picture. So you're looking at possibly a Chow Now or even a DoorDash uh, white labeled System, mm-hmm. um, and then on the other side of that is our friends, the pizza industry, which are somehow rarely a focus of of these uh, core products. You know, so Olo notoriously just doesn't really work well with pizza. Um, you know, and, and the pizza companies that are out there focused on them really aren't making uh, me impressed. I would say they're really tough. And, you know, because of the the high customization and how every order is unique and different and Mm -hmm. light sauce, heavy sauce, regular sauce, all this stuff, it just gets very convoluted. So um, it is kind of difficult to zero in. And I think one of the gripes that I've had with online ordering for the, the smaller guys is there's really no ability to make the customer experience tailored to, uh, the brand, meaning you get your place for a logo and in some instances, maybe you get more than that. Uh, Maybe you get fuller customization, but all in all you have like zero control over the user experience. Um, so what, what is your been approach to, uh, helping folks realize Mm -hmm. a better customer experience that's aligned more with the brand?
1: Yeah. I mean, for us, I mean, this is kind of like a, a bit of like the inception of Koala, but you know, we, as I mentioned in my sort of career growth, I, I end, ended up at a digital agency that was doing custom software work, and we got our foray into the industry through Shake Shack. So Shake Shack hired us. I was the head of customer experience at the time, and we built for them, you know, arguably one of the best ordering apps at least at the time that existed in the industry. We won a bunch of awards, at least, um, and we're like, great this is pr- look at problem solution. Like, let's just re- rinse and repeat this. The problem is that that approach where it's, it's custom software, it leaves so many brands behind because of the cost to do so, right? The outcome is obvious, right? This is beautiful. It's performant. It's on brand. Um, but there's a massive barrier to entry for most brands, which is the cost. And so, you know, we looked at the industry and we say, okay, on the one ha- on the one side, you've got you know, your, your point of sale will give you a free website where you can change the logo, maybe colors. Uh, on the other side, you've got working with an agency to develop, you know, category-defining digital experiences and a massive gap in between. And that's really the initial inspiration behind Koala, where can we take our experience as an agency, building best-in-class custom software, but, a, but approach it from... The way the rest of the tech stack has gone, which is software as a service, right? Your point of sale software as a service, your online ordering, your CRM, your inventory management KAS. those are all software services. And the reason that those are incredibly effective is because you don't have to, as a customer, as a brand, pay for the upfront development, right? You, you pay a licensing fee. You get to benefit from all of that work. But for some reason, that experience layer was 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 untouched for SaaS, right? That has to be beautiful, unique snowflakes that cost <laughs> millions of dollars. And we were like, let's let's just sort of challenge that assumption a little bit. And why can't we do? what Squarespace has done for photographers and for, for, you know, wedding couples and, and have like easy to use tools that give you a beautiful and highly performant, you know, at the end of the day website. And so Mm -hmm. that's what we looked at is that gap between, you know, free and functional at best and beautiful, expensive, um, you know, best in class and said, let's try to see if we can put these right in the middle, you know, very, very inexpensive, very approachable, very accessible. Uh, but still like, high quality and high standards of excellence for what the end product is going to be. And built into that, tons of opportunities for the brands to be able to express themselves, to be able to, to customize the look and feel, um, but a heavy focus on, on, on you know modern commerce tools, which are driven by how can we do more conversions? How can we increase check size, things of that nature? So that was, I mean, our mission was to make premium accessible at the end of the day, very simply stated. And so best in class building it a tool in such a way that it could be affordable for everybody.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I think um, it's really easy for smaller brands to look at the industry leaders and say, well, I want that. Mm-hmm. like the i I want the same thing for our brand yeah. uh, but you know we've been you know at vigor we've been on the other side of the table as it were conversations about creating a custom online ordering solution in fact we embarked deeply on one for a pizza company that uh, was a client of ours and we did it at a uh, i would say a lower cost than we probably should have but it was more of a let's see if we can get this because i think what what a lot of leaders that are not in the either tech or marketing or MarTech space. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's the upfront cost? Yeah. Great. That's going to get you something and And you'll have the basic, but then how do you build it? How do you grow it? Now that's like an ongoing investment. And I think the rare is the case where that's actually discussed where it's like, yeah, you know, it's going to be $500,000 to create a, a completely, um, uh, agnostic like a device agnostic experience or, mm-hmm. or responsive experience you know let's say four or five hundred thousand dollars to do that but then you got to grow it and then yeah. you got to start talking about extra features like upsells and combos and how do you actually handle the deals and how does that deal and in, in, integrate with the POS system that you have can it Integrate, and I think that's another thing. So let's mm-hmm. talk about integration for a minute. Um, so there, there, there's been a, a sort of a, a great schism uh, in, in the web world where um, there's the promotional marketing quote unquote website for a brand, and then you click order, and you end up in this transactional uh, brand website, and that that result is incredibly not seamless an um, experience. Maybe there's some correlation, but Do you think this is detrimental to brands or do you think it's like people are just used to it by now? And then how do you think we start to overcome it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the biggest things that that sort of drives me insane about this industry. Um, You know, retail moved away from this two decades ago. Um, And it's a thing that, you know, we are personally uh, focused on fixing. (laughs) for this industry and like say, drag this industry kicking and screaming into the modern era when it comes to, to digital. Um, I think it's, I think it's massively detrimental. I mean, when you, when you're, when you're thinking about what these digital experiences are, ultimately they, they are their funnels, right? They are customer journeys and you are, as a brand putting up such massive roadblocks when you start with like, look at this great LTO. We have this beautiful video. Um, we have this imagery, like really enticing for this new product that we're selling. Doesn't look awesome. Buy it now. And then, okay, wait, go to a location search, find a location. Oh, you want delivery? Type in your entire delivery address. Oh, sorry. That location doesn't deliver to you. Try again. That one. Okay. That one does. Now we'll go through, here's the menu. What was the thing you were looking for? And then you're completely lost. Yeah, it's completely lost. And like how many steps along that process have you slowly had a little bit of a trickle of people exiting the funnel? Right. And so, you know, it's 100% detrimental. It's funny. So I was, um, I don't know, Ivan Makovic, who is the CEO at Spengo gave a presentation at not the last RLC, but the one before, which was in, you know, four months prior. Um, and he, he, said to the audience, "Hey, everyone, take out your phone, go to your brand webpage, brand.com starting place and count the clicks to get something into your bag. And then everyone did that exercise, raise a hands. How many did it in two? How many did it in three? The majority of the room were more than five and some of them didn't Absolutely. raise their hands up until they were at 10, right? Yep. That is a massive problem. You would never experience that when you went to any either big box or even very small uh, startup retail website. But yet the, this is where the restaurant industry is. You know, y- y- you describe it it's promotional marketing and ordering. We think of it as content and commerce. And we think that those are just the limitations of the tools built by the platforms. There are purpose-built platforms for content. You ever heard of the term CMS like content management system? They just focus on content and there are purpose-built tools for commerce. And, you know, our our mission here is going to be to create and deliver a what, what what we call a unified digital experience, and it is anything that is digital that a customer can interact with has both content and commerce tools built into it. So everything is shoppable. Um, To what extent we can know the user, either because they're cookied and logged in, or we're just sort of making some assumptions based on where their IP is, where they're located, and start to tailor experiences that are personalized to them and allow them to one-click get products into a basket, taking an assumption that everybody's in shopping mode and great. You come to the website because you just want to learn about the brand or you're looking for jobs or you want to sign up to be a franchise. Those things should be easy to find, but we need to start from the assumption that you're a buyer. That's right. We start from the assumption that you're a buyer allow people off roads into the other things that are important for them, but just keep the buyers in the funnel and get them moving through as fast as possible.
0: Yeah. You, you make a good point. So I, I think the, the linchpin, uh, or or the biggest difference between retail and restaurant is the method of acquisition with retail. You're like, I I know you you could live literally anywhere in the U S and I don't care. We're going to get this to you. Um, so that's not a big deal. You can, you can start to load your cart up. And one of the hurdles that we have come up against is, well, if we load the cart up and then it turns out that they can't pick it up or they can't get it delivered, then they're going to be upset. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways that we approach that, I was like, well, timeout, they could pick it up from, from any one of your locations. Mm -hmm. So even if I live in Georgia and your restaurants in, uh, you know, Kalamazoo, Michigan, if, if I want to, if I'm saying I want to order food from that Kalamazoo location and I want to pick it up, it's none of your business where I live. Mm -hmm. Who cares where I live? Uh, I'm saying I'm going to buy it there. And so, um, I, I think there are ways to streamline that, but for, for people listening I like to think of all user experiences as in real life. And so let's make a click, a shifting of workstation or something. So if you think about it, uh, if you walked into my restaurant and I said, oh, oh, uh, go to that workstation and select if you want to do delivery or pickup. Okay. So I go over there. Okay. I'm done. Okay. Now I need you to go here and tell me the address. Oh, oh, okay. I guess I'll go here. Yeah. Do do you have pepperoni pizza? Hey, 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 let's not talk about that. (laughs) <laughs> Tell me where it's going or where you want to pick it up. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. five of those moments. No wonder yeah. people drop off, you know, when it's like, I mean, five clicks is a bloody eternity Yeah, and and I mean, every single one of them barrier, a barrier.
1: And um, when you think about, you know, yes, th- there is a frenemy relationship, obviously between the restaurants and the marketplaces. Right. But that is, you know, your delivery partner and also your competition for the order. Uh, And those have massive teams of UX designers, of developers and PMs that are just building better products to reduce the clicks, uh, to streamline the conversion. And that's who you're, you're up against. And so, you know, just sort of Putting these sites up, I got brand dot and order dot brand dot. Checking off the boxes, you sort of alluded to earlier of like you spend all the money, you do all the time, you get the thing up, and it's great. Now what? You're 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 competing against organizations that are continuously improving and optimizing and streamlining the user experience.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's absolutely impossible to compete with unless you make a concerted effort to do so. And Mm -hmm. let's face it. I mean, a lot, a lot of restaurants, I would say a large majority of restaurants delivery, it just simply wasn't a priority, Mm -hmm. you know, even ordering online ordering wasn't a priority because that just wasn't their model. And, but the behaviors have shifted as we all know. Um, so how can brands, optimize their online ordering experience to drive higher tickets and what we kind of talked about what's standing in the way, but um, how do we make it not so utilitarian? So I think like you mentioned that 3PD and some of these other uh, providers, it is wonderfully utilitarian, you know, product, price, picture, order. But we know that we're in the business, not so much of selling hamburgers, but of selling our hamburgers in our style with our vibe and our personality. And um, I I think if we stick with the utilitarian approach, what we're doing is kind of like the uh, where we're bleaching out all of the personality that really drives people's purchase decisions uh, after the first couple, it becomes a preference of brand, not just Mm -hmm. a preference of food. How do we even begin to tackle that? How do we get higher ticket averages and more traffic?
1: Yeah. Well, I do think that there is a very, you know, there's a couple different uh, elements here. One, there is the very, you know, tactful approach to, again, just to go back to it, because we're obsessed, like optimizing the funnel. And it is ensuring that you're focused on, you know, these, these small micro interactions that catch a couple people from dropping off just just as an example we pushed you know i talked about you know how delivery search works on websites we we actually pushed a feature out recently we call advanced delivery search which is just you want to order delivery let's just start with where are we delivering to and then will in the background run the location search, go location by location, validate which one's gonna to deliver to you and drop you on the menu for that location, right? This is all happening in microseconds. for So for the end user, you know, with autocomplete or even with now save delivery addresses that we've launched, it can get down to one click mm. from the start until you're into a menu and, and the reduction of keystrokes. Like, And we've seen a 7% increase in successful delivery searches from just launching those those, those features and a two and a half percent conversion rate increase when we, when we launched the, the, the one click delivery search. So I do think that, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily sexy and branded, uh, but it is important to be able to, to serve the guests. The sexy and branded stuff does come in with, you know, ensuring that, the tools also allow for a bit of that content to come through, right? Content, not just being, you know, banner images or or carousels or videos, but just like the ability to change your copy to be a little bit more expressive, a little bit more on brand. Um, You know, obviously the colors, the fonts, the look and the feel, customizing the menu to tailor to your exact way that, that, that product customization works, um, and, and, and having a, a flexible framework to be able to, to make changes, to experiment, to see how those changes are affecting it. And as your brand continues to grow and evolve, very easily being able to update all of those things to make sure that your digital experiences are matching your, your in-person experiences. And then I think the last thing is, is personalization and, you know, you mentioned Ola before. I know that that Noah Glass, the CEO over there, has an expression where he's he's trying to make sure that every guest is a regular. And I think that, you know, digital has a, a massive role to play there. It can be driven by machine learning. If we don't necessarily know you, we can sort of analyze your behavior and the things that you're adding to your cart, create a profile of other people that look like you, and then create recommendations to you based on that profile that we're creating. Obviously, if we know you, we can sort of tailor content and and tailor product or make recommendations directly to you and really extend hospitality, which restaurants are phenomenal at in person, extend it to to digital. And, you know, maybe that wasn't a big deal three years ago when, you know, five to 10 percent, if you were killing it, 20 percent of your orders were coming through digital, it's much, much higher now. The high water mark isn't coming ba- down as we see, you know, restaurants have opened up everywhere and there's still a large, you know, portion of revenue is being driven by digital as, you know, younger people start coming into becoming buyers and we see, you know, Gen Y and, and, and Gen Z coming up, they prefer digital first ordering. And so I think that that extension of hospitality, again, to digital um, and the tools that we can use to do that, whether that just be the brand that can come in and manipulate it the way that I want to be, or we're layering in machine learning and, and and algorithms to sort of real time create recommendations to people, all of those kind of work in concert, uh, to create really impactful one-to-one connections between the brand and their customer through these digital channels.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's amazing what's happening right now. Um, I think what needs to happen is convergence. Um, you know, we're, I think we're at the point in this part of the industry where convergence is waving its hands furiously. Um, people are begging for it. Cause we have so many different players where you could easily just get murdered by death by a thousand cuts from all the SaaS out there. So it's like, mm-hmm. I have my CRM SaaS, I have my uh, online ordering SAS. I have my POS SaaS, I have my kiosk. I have this, I have this, I have this. The next thing you know, every month you're just outputting tens of thousands of dollars it's valuable because hopefully you're making a ton more. Um, what, what's in the way of convergence between POS kiosks, transactional, transactional site, promotional sites, CRM, and the whole, uh, the whole ecosystem of ordering and marketing products.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the, 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 The biggest thing is that so many, at least of these large legacy components were, were built in silos in a world that it didn't matter. Mm It didn't matter what the tech design was going to be of your menu and your point of sale, because it only had to talk to the KDS and the KDS was the same company. So like, it doesn't matter. And, And you end up with, you know, 300 plus point of sale options with 300 plus approaches to how to from a from a sort of data you know design build menus and you know I just look at that and I just say like God, we just need standardization mm-hmm. and I you know I think that a, a layer of standardization um, so that all of these things can talk to together what that, that reduces like honestly like cost to continue to expand like us as a technology provider providing that customer experience layer we don't want to go do 300 point of sale integrations that's incredibly <laughs> expensive we're going to have to pass that expense off to our customers at the end of the day we want to partner with very big players that have very big reach create a standardized way that we you know look at menus place orders things of that nature and then we can reach keep our costs low and keep our scale low and and, and continue to deliver on our mission to to make premium accessible so i think that the fragmentation, the silo development, the lack of standardization, um, is really keeping, you know, interoperability, uh, as a blocker to, to this conversions.
0: Yeah. I love that. So we, we've sort of talked about Koala underlying here, but let's, let's, let's dive right into it. Yeah. Let's talk, talk about our, our marsupial mate. Um, what is <laughs> Koala? What's it all about? Why should folks be excited?
1: Yeah. So, you know, again, we're 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 trying to. So today what we're doing is we are offering brands with premium first-party ordering channels, right? So that is your website, your mobile apps, in-store kiosk, your in-store virtual pocket, cloud kiosk, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and to some extent, associate tools as well, like like line busters and and drive-through order tablets. So it is that holistic digital interface into the ordering ecosystem. And in many cases for many brands, it is the expression of their brand to their customers digitally. So another way to say it is we are the experience layer that sits on top of everything else. It wrangles all the pieces together and provides beautiful and performant interfaces for customers. Um, And, you know, we're layering on top of that Constantly uh, better tools to be able to manipulate the front end uh, with better expression of the brand, um, th- focusing again on these micro interactions to move people through the funnel. So, we really think of ourselves as building commerce tools uh, and, and, and tools that can be used and deployed uh, to greater effect of driving conversion rates and check sizes. Uh, part of that is machine learning, as I mentioned, for product recommendations. Um, you know, part of that is just better interface solutions for how do I make reordering one tap? How do I make, you know, delivery search one tap, you know, really kind of like focused on those sorts of things. Um, so all, all that kind of bundled together is, um, you know, best in class digital ordering.
0: I love that. So let's talk about digital ordering. You, you kind of talked about yeah. some things that are happening right now. Um, and this is almost the final question, but this is yeah. a big one. What's next in the world of digital ordering? (laughs) We talked about convergence. We talked about some of those other features, but let's maybe look not just down the road, but across the country or something like that. Like, (laughs) you know, in in five years, what does digital ordering look like?
1: Yeah, well... (laughs) What I don't think it's going to look like is like us all eating in like virtual restaurants in the metaverse as, as, as much of it's exciting to get, um, sort of caught up in the buzz of, of web three and what web three can be for, for, for restaurants. There are some folks who webs, their website just doesn't work. Um, and so I would hope that in the next one to two years, we can focus on just doing better basics. Like it's not, it's not exciting. Um, but, but I think that the preparation preparation of of just better like just mm-hmm. better and more stable solid experiences um, is 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 what I, I'm hoping that this industry will start to take on um, but beyond that I think that digital's expansion into on-premise is something that's going to be super interesting like we think of digital mostly as order ahead obviously there are kiosks but now we've got the QR code ordering um, and and all these other various ways that um, you know that that consumers can interact with the brand digitally um, it's it's been in the car for a while. Yes, there will be the ability to if you just cannot take your Oculus off to order from a restaurant inside the metaverse. Um, and all of these other sort of places that, you know, digital can allow the expansion of brands to go deeper and deeper uh into their into their consumers' lives. Like instead of just like clicking on an ad and in Instagram and going to a website, like just being able to order within those applications and kind of stay within your experience and just like, yeah, no, I can go for some food. Great. Boop, and the food shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that there's, you know, I, I love the virtual brand scene. I think it's a lot of fun. Like I, you know, w- we are just like naturally like ex- experimental and we want to try new things and kind of measure their outcomes as, as some of these digital tools get better and better, I think that a brand's ability to like overnight pop up a really beautiful performant website or an app in the app store. That's for this brand that just never existed days before, because the barrier to entry is so low. The capital investment is, is basically zero and like really start playing and experimenting with not just brands on marketplaces, but brands having a bigger and more sort of permanent footprint in the world. Um, so I think that that stuff's um, going to be super interesting. And then obviously, machine learning and AI's role um, on continually delivering, again, is I think just better hospitality by taking more data and inputs and creating better outputs that are custom tailored to every individual person. Like, I would love to get to the day where you can go to a brand's menu. And, you know, let's say like, we know that you, you usually switch to the gluten-free bun, or we're just Mm going to go and do that for you. Right. So now Mm -hmm. here's, here's the full sandwich menu, all the sandwiches that you, that you know, and love, and you don't have to go in and switch to gluten-free anymore. We've done it for you. Or like, you know, I don't like tomatoes. And so I would never have to say no tomatoes on something. It would just never be there, right? One-to-one personalized menus. Um, that, that's that's something that I think, you know, hopefully will come up and I think will be super interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on the metaverse. I think it's it's uh, kitsch. Maybe it's because I can't get over that it's pretty much second life. And I know yep. I'm like dumbing it down a lot. But I'm like, look, it's, it's a cool thing. I get it. It's sort of ready player one-ish. Mm-hmm. But... We're almost, I think it's almost just like, look over here. uh, And it's not necessarily a diversion, but it kind of is. I think there's hype around it. What I see is better development of wearable tech, wearable tech being integrated into what we wear already, like Mm -hmm. glasses, like contact lenses, and then augmented reality. Um, We already have something that could easily converge with, how we see, which is our number one perception point. Um, and that's ways you're driving on ways ad pops up for Starbucks or ad pops up for this, that, and the other. It's kind of the same thing where I'm walking down the street and, you know, I hate to make it about advertising, but Hey, agency guy, what do you want? (laughs) Um, you know, but that's, I mean, that's really, what's going to drive it is how do people make money on it? And, um, You know, I see that as being a very real thing that's unobtrusive. And then you add in the layer of self-driving vehicles and how fast we are moving towards that one delivery becomes easier, but two now distracted driving is less of an issue because I'm not even driving. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I can be served up with those ads in my eyesight and it have it not be dangerous. Um, I I think that's like the
1: whole new world, I would say in five years, um, it's true. We think of interfaces as screens, but interfaces are really just connections and, and, you know, you know, when I, when I yell out to Google to play some music, like there's no reason why I, why I can't just also say like, Hey, I'm hungry. Order me the sweet green salad that I normally get, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or, you know, I can sort of layer things on top of my world. It doesn't have to necessarily be a physical screen in your hand or on your desktop to be an interface into, you know, commerce.
0: Yeah, and I see metaverse is kind of just being another. Uh, and pizza Hut was doing this with I think Xbox, where you're playing your video game and you could easily order Pizza Hut pizza yeah. right from your video game. It's kind of the same thing in my perspective of it. But yeah. you know, and that,
1: that's that's great, cool. Like, do that. Yeah, great. But like, don't don't create a destination for me in the virtual world to go and like look at your salad bar. Like, that's right. I get it.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, all right, cool. So probably the toughest conversation of this or toughest question of this entire conversation, which is if you had one final meal, where would you eat? What would you eat and why?
1: Yeah. So, um, there's a bit of a story, I guess, behind this meal, as I guess probably most meals have a story behind it. So, so my wife is originally from Poland and, I thought it'd be really fun to force my family out of the country for the first time and have a wedding in in the capital of Warsaw. So so we did that. And it's a tradition, uh, in Poland for weddings to go until sunup. Um, you know, our, our, ours was actually, uh, at a hotel. And so they said, we're so sorry, we have to stop us at five because we have to set up for, for breakfast the next day. So <laughs> it's okay. I guess we'll, we'll suffer. So, you know, we went till five, uh, and then also a tradition is to, you know, host the guests the next day at yet a continuational celebration of a, of a big br- boozy brunch. And so we did that, uh, and then we got an appointment. Lane and flew out to Paris for the honeymoon. Drop, got to the hotel, dropped the bags, like, okay, you know, we're exhausted. You know, we're running off on, on 48 hours of just pure adrenaline, no sleep, but we need something to eat. And so it just turned out that right around the corner from our hotel was this, you know, sort of looked good on Yelp steak frites place, um, called Le Relais du uh, which I'm sure I'm bastardizing. But um We got there. We got lucky because apparently this place usually has a line, but we were able to get seated right away. We sat down, perfectly prepared steak, just absolutely delicious fries uh, and and great wine. And it just sort of the last two days of, of just anxiety and emotion and energy just slowly started to melt away. And I was sitting with my wife for our first meal together alone, you know, as a couple, um, it was, you know, simple meal, expertly prepared, absolutely delicious. So you obviously can't, you can't order that meal, right? Right. It it takes an experience that like leading up to it and the atmosphere and the moment to create the meal. Uh, but if they could package it up and have it to me in 30 minutes, uh, (laughs) I I would (laughs) would buy it every week. Um, but that, that's, that's it. That one's that's, that one sticks a top of mind for me.
0: I love that. I, um, also have a Paris honeymoon story. Um, (laughs) this is a while back, but we, we got married in Amalfi, Italy. Uh, and then we went to Rome, Venice, Barcelona, and then we ended in Paris and this is in July. And so let's just say we were in the habit of taking two to three showers a day (laughs) just from being out in the heat. And it was wine, 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 wine. Um, like drinking wine, not whining, Mm -hmm. um, and then rich, pizza and pasta and you know we get to barcelona it's even richer food like paella and again more wine and more wine by the time we got to paris one we had a pleasant surprise that it was like about 50 degrees there Mm. fahrenheit so we had to go buy uh jeans and hoodies just to like (laughs) exist but that was nice because it was a welcome uh change but when we landed same thing I, i just looked at her i'm like dude i just want a big fat Beer, and I want greasy, <laughs> fried, no more wine, food. Yeah, just, just for this meal, can I yeah. have this? And she was like, uh, "I'm with you. Where are we going to get that?" There was an Irish pub literally right yeah. around the corner. Amazing. I they're walked in. Everywhere. I was like, yeah, and, it, and it's they're the same there as they are here. And uh, I'm all like,
1: corners of the world. Yeah,
0: that's all right. And so we walk in. I look at the menu. I was like, "Do you have a, a sampler platter?" And he's like, uh, "Yeah, it's page one." And I look at it, and it's all fried food. I'm like, "Yes, that. Thanks." And yes, please. Blonde ale fried sampler platter yes. yes it's not healthy but oh it was delicious and uh i'll never right forget for it. the moment right for, for the moment. moment that's that's
1: right. it, it's that come i mean that's the beautiful thing about the restaurants is they you can always kind of have this you know your life moment kind of coalesce with great food that's perfectly paired and you just you you remember it forever that's
0: right it's 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 those magic moments and that's what the restaurant industry is all about Mm -hmm. um brett thanks for being on how can
1: people connect with you and koala sure koala.io uh and i'm brett b-r-e-t-t at koala.io simple as that Excellent. We'll have all that
0: stuff in the show notes, and we'll also have links to your social. And uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your insights. I'm My really buddy. excited about Koala, and I think uh, hopefully the listeners are too after this uh, this episode.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Jesse. Cheers.
0: If you love what we've served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. fortales Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021. Vigor Graphic Design, LLC. All rights reserved.